Let me jump into this last, now that I can see it here, let me just jump into this last uh, part of this sermon that I've got on this uh, series that we're dealing with. And we have, we have reached this point of getting to where we're ready to possess. We have passed pretty much most all the tests so far. Israel has struggled with all these tests, and we'll see the result. But we have learned in the process that God is in control of all. Therefore, He's purchased us. We are His property. We have to reach the understanding that we are owned by Him. That means that we learn then to obey. God has a reason why He trains us and teaches us to obey. We learn to war. We learn how to fight using God as our banner. We go into every situation holding up God in front. We learned last week that as we continue in that process, that obedience and war, and then we finally get to the day to where now we are ready. There are several ways God had given me this, and, and I do not have the time today, and I'll probably go back and deal with all the little stories that, that goes on here. There are a number of them. And the more I wrestled with the Lord over this, I was like, God, how do I bring this to a just an understanding. I wanted to call it Kadesh Barnea, which is where Israel will spend almost 38 years in one little area. It's the place where the water comes out of the rock. It's the place where Miriam will eventually die. It's the location where Israel gets so close. It's right on the border of Canaan. And it's the place where their whole world changes and they stop. For 38 years, they will remain there, unable to go into the promised land. There's a couple factions that decide we're going to do it anyway, and they are defeated badly trying to go in when God says you can't. So what happens? What, what, what is missing from them? What is the problem that God brings them all the way to Kadesh Barnea, and yet they can't go in? What causes people to get so close to what God seemingly has promised them or what they feel in their heart, but they never get to possess it. What is the difference between that person that you see, man, they just, they do crazy things for God. And then those people that talk about doing crazy things for God, but never get to it. They talk about, they spend most of their time, if I was to describe a preacher, he spends 90% of his time telling you about people he's read about that did great things. People from the 1500s and the 1800s, you know, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so did this. and Ultimately, I got up this morning, and I was just going through clothes, and I was like, even what I'm going to wear and everything, and, and I ran across a T-shirt that somebody had given me, and I'll show it to you. It says, fearless. Fearless. Okay, that's what most people, when, when somebody gave it to me, they thought, you know, that's Pastor Lot. I mean, it's just, you, you see all the stuff that he gets done, all the stuff he's done over the years, all the stuff. Man, he is, he is fearless, but not really. I stay scared probably more than most all of you. I, I wake up, Tara, if you could talk to my wife most of the time, I walk away pretty much every Sunday feeling like that was the worst sermon I've ever preached in my life. I'm quitting. I'm through. If this is as good as I can do, I'm finished. 
You see it from the perspective of what gets accomplished and what gets done. So what is the difference, Pastor? Well, the title of this last message that I want to bring to you is simply this. Believing, believing in what you don't trust. Believing in what you don't trust. If Israel was to be summed up in one phrase, it's the fact that they believed in a God that they could never, ever seemingly trust. They could not get it in their spirit. They could not get Egypt out of them. They could tell you everything about a God. They could sing about a God. They could talk about the God. I guess the easiest way to say it is on Sunday, they had a spiritual life. But on Monday, it was a different story. Sundays and Mondays didn't match up. And if I'm looking at people this morning, the difference between whether you're going to overcome, whether you're going to become everything God intends for you, is the fact that not that God won't give you some vision, that God won't give you some idea. It could be as simple as, hey, in five years you're going to own your own truck, or you're going to own a house, or you're going to own a car, or you're going to own... It could be anything and everything. It's not the what God gives you, it's the fact, can I trust Him to accomplish what He's put into my spirit? Or do I look at my past? Do I look at all the things that I've been through? Do I look at everything that and, and, and cancel it out? Go with me in your Bibles to Proverbs, Proverbs 1 and 33. Let, let me see if I can explain it this way. My favorite book in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. It is a very simple book. It is not complicated. It is the book of wisdom. Now, let me give you the definition for wisdom that will help you out. A wisdom is the ability to understand the true nature of a thing. Wisdom is the ability to understand the true nature of a thing, to see it as it really is. When Jesus was on the world, he saw things as they really are. They said he spoke as no man ever spoke, not just because he preached sermons, but it was because he would speak to diseases. He would tell disease, leave that body. How do you talk to a disease? He, he talked to disease. He saw things as they really are. If it was a spiritual problem, he would speak to the demonic spirit that was over them. You spirit of infirmity, you spirit of, of sickness, you spirit of whatever, you come out of them. See, we, we speak to the issue as far as what we feel and what we think and what we, what we have in our heart. And we, we speak to it that way, bro, Lord, I'm hurting. Well, well, that's not the problem. I got, I got a lot of a stress on me. That's not the problem. The problem is where is the real attack coming from? What is it that's really happening in the world? And as a Christian, you have arrived the moment you can see the natural world less than you can see your spiritual world. When you arrive as a Christian, the, the natural world becomes a very fleeting as James would say, it's like a vapor, it's of no value, it's here for a second, it's like a flower, it's up and it's down. You will see life from that perspective. 
All that you're going through, all that you endure, all that you're facing, it will just seem like just something I'm enduring, I've got to face, i got to... And what will happen is you will realize that the things that I'm doing on the spiritual side are the everlasting things, are the important things, are the things that I need to give the most energy to, thought to. It's the only thing that's going to matter. I ask myself all the time, a hundred years from now, what will it matter? A hundred years from now, what I'm worried about right now, what I'm feeling, what will it matter? If it's a spiritual thing, a hundred years from now, it'll matter a lot because it'll still be carrying with me. But if it's a physical thing, it's going to be past. It's going to be gone. So wisdom is the ability to understand the true nature of a thing and the ability to implement the will of God to it. It's the ability then to see it as it is and then have the courage to implement God into it. What does God say to do about this spiritual issue? What does God say to do about this situation? What does God say, and the only way I can do this is I must trust that it works. So the book of Proverbs is always about trust. It's called the book of wisdom, but really it can be translated the book of trust. Why? Because go with me to Proverbs 1 and 33. Here's what it says. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without the fear of evil. All the stuff that's going on around you, all the stuff that's taking place, the fear of those things will cease. They will, they will fall away. You can call it fearless. It's really just trust. It's really just trust. Now, it appears to the world without fear of evil. But it doesn't begin there. To the person you're speaking it to, they're like, huh, it's not fearless. You just do it scared. You just do it terrified. You do it thinking, oh God. The first building I built, my whole thought process was this. When, when we decided to do it and, and, and we signed the note and I, my name was first on there, my whole thought process was, well, if it doesn't work, I'll get a job, work the rest of my life, pay it off. That was my thought process. Oh, Brother Lot, I bet you could see. Uh, no, all I could see was, now, if I made this much per week and I had to do this and I had to die the rest of my life for the next 20 years, I could pay this building off if I had to. If everybody left me and it all went bad, I, I would die, but I would be able to do it. So don't think it's, it's in the absence of fear like you're thinking like, oh, the flesh is going to, to, to grumble. The flesh is going to wonder why. The flesh is going to say, what are we doing? The flesh, but your spirit then has to be strong enough to drag it along. It has to be strong enough to tell it, we're not living in fear. Not the fear of evil. Not the fear of what something's going to happen wrong. We're going to live in the anticipation of what is right. Let me show it to you how Proverbs says it. And I read this to every group of my graduating class. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Go there with me and I'll show you what he says. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. 
What is the word? Trust. It's the key. Trust in the Lord. Scared? Yeah. Worried sometimes? Yeah. Not sure it will all? Yeah. But the difference is, is that God will bring you to a place just like he does Israel, and it gets to a point he's going to say, okay, send the spies in, and everything you're going to see is going to say, we can't do this. And you will have one option in your life. It will never be the right time. Things will not be aligned correctly. It will never be a perfect season. You will never have the right moment. It will just come down to a moment in your life where you decide to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, all the things that you have to wrestle through. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And if you do this, he will direct your... So all that you've seen, all that God has done for Israel, everything that's taken place has been simply an understanding that what I want you to do more than anything else is to trust in God entirely. What's holding you back this morning, what's keeping you from what God wants you to have is your ability to trust in God entirely. Something happens and it makes you mad. Somebody hurts your feelings and it cancels you out. Are you ready to quit church or you're ready to start talking about somebody? Or you're, you're ready. It is the ability that no matter what's going on, the good, the bad, everything around you, can I trust in the Lord entirely with my life? It is the challenge. And everything that you've been through up to this point, all the things you've seen, maybe you've seen a miracle in your body. Maybe you've seen miracles on others. Maybe you've went through situations. Maybe you survived a car wreck. Maybe every, but everything like the children of Israel, all the, the burning bush for Moses, all the Red Sea for Israel, all what he did to Egypt, all the different things in the desert sets you up for one simple moment. It is where you get to the point to where, yes, you've obeyed me because you had to. You're in a desert. You would die if you didn't obey me. Okay, that's one thing. Okay, you've learned to war. You've learned that when you're in trouble, you run to me. Even, even New Orleans knows that, and it's Sin City. And New Orleans knows if a hurricane's coming, guess what they're going to start telling the world to do for them? Pray for us. Pray that the hurricane won't come. Well, well, they're not dumb. They understand how to war. They understand how to do. But I'm going to tell you what they will never do. I'm going to tell you what Congress will not do. I'm going to tell you what the president will not do. I'm going to tell you why we're in the shape we're in in our country, in our world. It's because because we believe in something that we will not trust in. We believe in someone, we call ourselves Baptist or Catholics and whatever we call ourselves, but we don't trust in it. Because of it, not trusting in God entirely, we have a problem. Just like Israel had a problem, we have a problem. The word trust, the word trust literally means to lay down on it. It's what you're doing in those chairs right now. Not a one of you that I'm looking at has your hands on both sides of the chairs and you're like barely just making sure you don't put all your weight on it. Because, I mean, really and truly, we didn't load test all those chairs. I have no idea 
That should make some of us worried when we sit down in these chairs. They're not load tested. You know how you buy something that says made, because I've been wanting to buy a, a paddle board. I want a paddle board so bad. And, 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 and man, I love watching them guys just stand up on that paddle board and do it. And, go. And, and the only problem is all the ones that I see, load rate, 230. And I'm like, not that I am 230, but just if, if, if I put my cooler and my everything else on it, I'm just saying it would probably exceed 230. So I have to, I have to look up paddle boards, and I'm thinking, paddle boards that will handle 300 pounds. And they're a lot bigger and wider and longer, and I'm like, that doesn't bother me. I just want to know that when I'm standing on it, I can relax and I'm like, I am not worried about water coming, starting, and I'm, <laughs> that's like those chairs you see, those chairs, you're just sitting there. Yeah. Why? Because you're trusting in them. How do you know, brother, a lot I'm trusting in them? Because I can see you. You can't tell me you trust in them when I can't see you do it. That's what the world sees the church. We sing about trusting in the Lord. We talk about it. We, we do one-week mission trips about how much we love the world. We do all this kind of crazy stuff. But do you trust him? Uh, you know, well, a lot, you got to use common sense. Well, that's, a, that's a great word. And I'll get to that in a few minutes. Is that okay? It means to lay down on, to give all of it. The problem is... The problem is, is that we don't start with the Lord. We start with us. So, so describing it as the chair, let me see if I can show it to you real quick. It, it's, it'd be like this, and you're just watching the back of me, but just imagine, I don't really trust this chair. So what I would do is, is I'm going to grab the handles, and I'm just going to, Okay. You think it'll hold you up? Well, it's holding me up so far. It's, it's working so far. But now I'm going to keep my elbows right here just in case. Just to, and we do God that way. We turn to everything and every person before God. We turn to every situation, every circumstance. We turn to doctors. We turn. If, if you thought you were sick, Where's the first place you're going? If there's any sick among you, let them call the elders of the church, lay hands upon the sick, and they shall. Where's the first place you're going? I need to get a doctor appointment. And then if you find out you got something wrong, then where do you go? Do you understand the problem? If you have money issues, you got money issues, what's the first thing you do? You go to every bank in town. You don't borrow, you don't, you don't ask every cousin you know. And then finally you come to the altar and it's like, Pastor, would you pray? I, I, I've got rent due and everything and, and I just need God to do a mirror. I already know about it because three of your cousins done called me and said, look, so-and-so probably going to come hit you up for money. <laughs> they probably going to hit you up for money because they don't come to me. I just thought I'd let the church know. And I gave them 50 bucks so they ain't broke. 
You ain't as slick as you think. But what you're doing is you're holding on to the chair and you're like, okay, I don't trust God. And the problem is in our life when we say trusting God entirely, what we do is we start with ourselves. And then we turn to God. The proof is that we always go to other sources first. What was Israel's proof in the desert that it did not trust God, that it did, that it would always complain, grumble, want to go back to, was looking for any way possible other than God? I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you how the world lives. We live a lot different than that. We're nothing like that, right? And we wonder why, why can't I get my possessions? What God promised is proof is in what you run to, what people watch you run to every single day. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with going to a bank if you need money. I, 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 I own some money. There's nothing wrong with going to the doctor if you are sick. That's not what I'm talking about. But in your mind and in your heart, what is it that you run? Proverbs says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your, there may be a doctor that needs to be. There may need to be a bank you need to borrow money from. But let him direct your ways. Don't put him as the third or fourth option in your life. Make sure he's the first and the most important. And that whatever he says, I am trusting in it. This is what Israel could not do. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Go with me to Romans 11 and 33. Romans 11 and 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past in other words, you can't grasp what God is trying to do. You cannot get your little mind around the direction that God has for your life. And the more you sit there trying to figure it out, and the more you sit there wrestling with it in your brain, and the more you try to just simply think, oh, I wonder what he's trying. Oh, well, maybe he's got this in mind. Maybe he's trying to do this. Listen, let me give you some advice. Shut up. Quit thinking. You're not able to think where he can think. You're not able to reason how he reasons. It is simply a matter of trust. It is simply a matter of you saying, God, I trust you. I don't understand it. I ain't got it figured out. I don't know why you got me here. Look, I spent the first two years in forest thinking that. We, we went to the fair in forest the first time. We're from Columbus, Mississippi, Starkville. We, it's a whole different group of people there. I hate to break it to everybody that's ever been. It, it, every place you go is a different culture. And let me tell you something. We were from there, and the first time they had a fair here, at least it's like, hey, let's go to the fair. Man, we went there about 8 o'clock that night and I found forest. I'm like, oh, we are not in Kansas anymore. First time we smell this smell and we're like, what is that? Smells like money. I'm like, no, it's like dead chickens. No, in your life, Understand, you're not going to, God couldn't explain to me, Tim, I, I got stuff planned. 
He said, Tim, I only ask one thing of you. And that's not for me you have this intellectual conversation. That's the problem with theology and all the stuff. They get so smart, they don't realize how dumb they are. Just come up from the conclusion, I'm dumb. Whatever it says, it's good. The Bible makes it clear when he says, let God be true and every man be a a liar. That's the best way to start your life. Get up in the morning. God, you're telling the truth. And whatever I hear from anyone else today is a lie. If it does not match up with you, then it's a lie. It doesn't matter if a doctor tells me, well, a lot, you know, so-and-so probably won't make it. That's a lie. If a, if a lawyer says, well, you know, this probably, it's a lie. Even if myself says, you know, we're probably not going to make it. You lying to yourself. Why? Because if it doesn't match up with God, let God be true. And let everything that comes, anything contrary to that, let it be a lie. You, you get mad about that. You have to. Because let me tell you, you open Facebook, you're going to hear a lot of lies. You start playing around on your Instagram, you're going to hear a lot of lies. You read a lot of novels, you're going to hear a lot of lies. I don't care if some of them Christian books, they lies. Well, this is what I get from it. I don't care what you get from it. What does it say? Tell me what it says and you just figure out if you can live up to it. Go to Job 28, beginning at verse 12. I wish I had time to read all the way to verse 33. You'll have to do it yourself. Job 12, uh, 28, beginning at verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding, says Job? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the that sound anything like what I just told you? Anything that's in this world that's living that says, I know more than God is lying to you. That's what Job said. Man does not know the value, nor has found the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed of its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Orphur and in precious onyx and, or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry or fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies and topaz and Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can its value be in pure gold. Can you get the idea? He says, what is it in this world you think you got that's worth more than wisdom? And wisdom can't come from this world. So we're in, a, we're in a problem. There's nothing in this world that can buy wisdom and wisdom doesn't come from here. So what? To the topaz of the ill cannot equal it. Verse 20. For where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hid from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. He goes on to tell you, birds live their life, don't realize they're fixing to get trapped or shot. They, don't, they can't see it. Verse 22, 
You'll look like you're listening, so I'm going to read some of it. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears. In other words, people who keep messed up lives, people who keep, anybody ever made some bad choices? They've heard about it. I probably shouldn't have done that. Because wisdom screams from the streets, says Proverbs. It screams from the streets and says, listen to me. God understands its way. And he knows its place. In fact, Proverbs would tell you, he taught wisdom. Before wisdom was wisdom, God said, hang out with me. And wisdom says, I learned from God. Therefore, that's why I'm smart as I'm smart. God taught me wisdom. God taught me what I'm telling you. His ways, his places have showed me all the things that I have. Go with me to Romans 3 and 4. I'll show it to you again. Romans 3 and 4. Trust means to lay down on something, to, to put your full weight to it. Here's what it says in Romans 3 and 4. Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are. He said, here's the thing you're going to know. If you, if you align yourself with me, in due time, you will be proven right. You know what I, I love the most about the political world, the political world will give you an answer. It will give you an answer, give you, and, and it will hold on to that answer until it's proven wrong. And then what do they always tell you immediately after that? Why we got to talk about that? Let's not talk about that. Why are we bringing up the past? They're ready to move on to the next lie. When they just don't want you to think, I just told you one before I just told you this one. The world does that. Hey, it'll work out this time. We just got bad luck last time. No. Let God be true. And anything that doesn't match with God, just be able to have the courage to say, that's a lie. That's a lie. As it is written, you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. There's nothing I've ever started that people didn't say I was crazy. There's nothing I've ever started. Even, even the, the, the camp that, that, that we just finished as a church, and uh, I mean, we built it during COVID. How crazy is that? We built a camp where people can come together, and we're going to pack kids together, and you can't even put six people in a room. We were told not to leave the house. Kids couldn't even go to school when we were building that camp. And we're like, oh, no, they're going to be piled up in there like sardines. Really? I don't think this is the right time. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking. Oh, I'm not. That's the beauty. I quit thinking a long time ago. That's why when I tell you I'm not smart, it's not a, it's not a prerequisite to be successful. Y'all keep acting like, oh, he's smart. He's going to be. No, you can be really earthly smart and to be a total loser. Three marriages to the wind, four bankruptcies, and have a miserable life. And he said, boy, dude, smart. Really? No. 
It's okay to not be smart. As long as you're obeying truth. That's the only amount of wisdom you've got to have. The only amount of smarts that you've got to have. So when the devil tells you, you're not smart, you're not. Thank goodness. It means I ain't got a whole lot of arguing with God. Saves me a whole lot of arguing. I'm not like some of y'all. Some of y'all are real smart people. Y'all can argue with God and tell God where he's wrong and tell God he don't know what he's doing and tell God you're going to do it differently. That, that has to be an awesome thing. I'm not able to do that. God's like, Tim, you know you're not bright. Yes. Then just do what I'm telling you. Yes, sir. It's a real simple life. Go with me in your Bibles to Philippians 3 and 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have... Now, notice this now. The first couple of them, I, I, could, I could take you to any church in America. We are the circumcision. means that we have come out of the world, we believe in Christ, who worship God in... Oh, man, you go to a Pentecost, we worship God in spirit and in truth. We had church today. Really? Rejoice in Christ Jesus. But here's the prerequisite. And we have no confidence in our flesh. Why would that scripture be there? Well, I want to explain why that scripture is there. Because we have a problem. How in the world, Brother Lot, can we be so praising how can we be so worshiping how can we do all the stuff that we're doing and still not be able to go into where we are supposed to possess there's a problem there is your christian life look at the person beside you and say you are a christian if i were to ask you do you believe in christ yes there is your christian life but it's versing something. It's versing the real world. And that's why people will look at me sometimes and say, well, you know, God gave us enough sense to know what to do. No, he didn't. I just read you the scriptures. You didn't get that much sense. If sense was so common, people say, you got common sense. If sense was so common, why did you end up in the messes you ended up in? If common sense was so common, and everybody has it, everybody's got good stuff of it, then why'd you end up in such a mess? There's no such thing as common sense. It's just earthly. You have earthly sense. And what does he say about earthly sense? Don't trust it. If it contradicts me, don't depend on it. Brother Lodge, you, you're being hard this morning. I know it. But what I don't want more than anything else, I don't want you to spend the next 30 years of your life standing outside of the place you were supposed to be. I don't want you to come to me with your family 30 years from now and tell me what it could have been, what it might have been. I don't want you to look at me with your life and think, I, you know, God had told me to start this business years ago. Why didn't you do it? I just thought I'd fail. Why'd you do thinking? Why'd you get to thinking? You know you ain't that smart. Why are you thinking? Just do what God told you to do. Yeah, well, I don't know how it would have worked out. Well, that's the beauty of it. 
See, the problem is, is, is that we come and we use that excuse. Well, God gave us enough sense to know not to do this or not to do that. God gave me enough sense to know not to give somebody some money that ain't going to pay me back. God gave me enough sense to know not. No, it's just a, it's a contradictory. It's a fight. You've got your Christian life, all the things God called us to do and to live and to believe and trust. And then there's this real world that's out there. Brother Lodge, you don't, you don't realize how the real world is. Yeah, I do. The Bible has a term for what you struggle with. And I'm going to give it to you, and, and, and you, you don't want to get this as a tattoo. Some of, y'all, some of y'all get tattoos and stuff, but don't do this. It's like, oh, that's a good phrase. I'm just going to get that tattooed on me. No. The Bible has a term called double-minded. And I'm not picking about your tattoos. No, that's not what I'm doing. I always tell y'all, what are tattoos? Tattoos are pictures that you're sticking on your body that you permanently have to look at the rest of your life. Anybody ever have a bad memory? Did you want to make a picture of it and put it in front of your steering wheel? And every day you get in your car, look at your steering wheel like, oh yeah, yeah, I did do that. Well, why do you think the enemy wants you tattooing? And there's nothing wrong with it. Some people put Christian scriptures, some people put different things. But what it always is, is one thing. It's, it's the world's way, because what do they call the body now? It's the canvas. Isn't that what tattoo artists say? It's your canvas. Well, think about that. We are giving you a picture that you permanently towed around. So if I put, let's say somebody died in my life, and it could be somebody I love, my dad. Okay, if I said my dad died, okay, died January 1st, 2000. All right, I'm going to put that on my arm, and that's what I put on my arm. Well, guess what I'm going to do every day I look at it? Oh, I miss my dad. Man, every time I look at it, I can't move forward because I'm constantly stuck in my... So I'll tell you that to just next time you walk in that tattoo parlor, some of you ladies, you walk in that tattoo parlor, just remember, you're going to have to permanently look at that And it will always take you to a place and time of memory. The enemy wants to use that canvas to always drag you back to somewhere that you were hurting. Just just a word of warning. Do with it what you want. The Bible has a term. And don't get it tattooed, so I'm going to say it again. It's called double-minded. It's called double-minded. It's trying to be a Christian and then live in a real world. And you're trying to make decisions with a mixture. Well, that's a God thing, but oh, that's just too much, brother. I'm not ready for that. I mean, you're not ready for it. Dead people don't vote. I'm not ready to give that up. You're dead. you, you got to give it up. Unless you're double-minded. Here's what the Bible says. James 1, 5, and 7. Go there with me. I want to show it to you. I'm not getting very far very fast, am I? James 3. Go to James 3, verses 13 through 17. My bad. 
James 3, 13 through 17. I, I was right scribbling these scriptures down. You can see I was scribbling everything down as I was coming this morning. Some mornings are that way. It's like, what's your sermon? I have no idea. I've been fighting God on this thing all the way to here. I've got four sermons and I'm trying to cut it to one. But it's fun. Here's what it says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, we already know that answer because that means it's somebody who does what? Doesn't listen to themselves or anything in the world, but listens only to what God says. That's wise. Okay. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show then by the good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of How many of you are wise? Well, then I will be able to watch your life and I'll be able to say, you're an idiot. Or yes, you're right. You are a very wise person. You're doing, it's not complicated. That's what Paul, that's what James is saying. He said, we will be able to watch your conduct and we will be able to say through your good works that you are walking in meekness and wisdom. It's not hard. But we tell people every day, now look, now don't, don't, I, I, I don't watch what I'm doing sometimes. That ain't really me. I'm like, no, no, that's really you. That is really you. So what does he say? Verse 4. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the said, if, you're, if your life is living this way and it's like, I'm not living in wisdom, I'm living through self-centered self. He said, then don't lie against the, don't go tell people you're okay when you're not okay. Is that simple enough? It's amazing how simple the Bible is. It just, it's just really simple. Don't go saying you're okay if you're living a life and you know you're not okay because you're going to lead someone else to thinking you're okay. I was talking to someone last night and they were looking at me and they were talking about how they had quit this and quit that and, and some different habits and stuff and, and said, I, I, you know, I, I just gave this stuff up and quit this stuff. Well, I knew they had children and different things and a conversation finally came back around and I looked at them and I said, you know why God took that away from you? And he kind of looked at me. I said, because God knew you as an example to all these others that's right under you. And God didn't want them to have to struggle with the thing that you're struggling with. So God graced you and allowed you to be able to have strength to give up those things. And I love the answer that, it, that they gave me. Well, that's one way of looking at it. And I just walked away. <laughs> we, can't have no, we can't have no more conversation. Our brains don't reach the same level, dude. I love you, but the fact is, you don't grasp it. God has given you wisdom. You have obeyed the wisdom, and it's blessed your life. It's not you. You obey truth. Do not boast and lie against the truth. Listen, the wisdom, this wisdom, does not descend from above, but is earthly. One interpretation will put it this way. The wisdom that you're operating out of is flowing through the earth, but it's coming from hell. 
That's what he says. You think it's just, it's just my wisdom. No. If it has not come from above, well, then it's just the way I see it. No, no. No, no, no. Don't think you're that smart. You're not. It's not how you see it. It's how the demonic forces that are below you see it. And what they have done is they've infiltrated your ignorance. And they've twisted truth. And now you're carrying a twisted truth throughout your life. If that don't scare you, that terrifies me. That if I'm not obeying the truth that descends from above, then somebody said, well, I'm just doing my own thing. No, no, you don't have an own thing. There ain't a one of you in this room, and I hope you're not that dumb to think you're doing your own thing. Because your wisdom is coming from somewhere. I've learned some things. Where'd you learn it from? It wasn't your mama. You learned it from the demonic forces that come from below, because if it doesn't match with this, it's a mixed theology. And if that doesn't scare the bejeebies out of you, to know that if my wisdom is not coming from God, then it's the forces that are coming from below that are constantly bombarding and making me accept what it says I am and what it is that I'm supposed to be and what I can do. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where there is envy, self-seeking exists, confusion, and everything are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without that's how you judge your life. Why are you saying all that, Brother Lot? Because if I had time, I would tell you of the people in our story. I wish I could tell you a happy ending. But in this desert is a boatload of double-minded people. That God is trying through all the ways that he has, through all the miracles, through all this. If I had time, I would go and read the scriptures where God speaks through Moses and he speaks to the people and says, have I not done this? Have I not brought you through this? Have I not? Why do you think you're alive today? Why do you think you're? It's because I brought you here. I have done. And what I'm asking you to do is trust me. Go to Numbers 20, 10 through 13. Let's talk about Moses. And I'm going to go through these as fast as I can. Is that okay? Numbers 20, 10 through 13 says, And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Him and Aaron had already had a conversation. I can see them. I, I, it's just as pure. I can see them two walking toward the congregation. They're down there in the valley in Kadesh Barnea. And Moses is walking and Aaron and 
And they're like, I am so sick of these people. Me too, Aunt Moses. Me too. We, we, we do everything for these people. We, we, we take care of them. We make sure they're fed. We make sure they ain't make no manna fall from the sky. We, we make sure they're taken care of. We, we keep them warm. We, we've been taken care of. And, and this is the gratitude we get, Moses. Well, all the gratitude we get is more complaining and more grumbling. And by the time they get there, Moses and Aaron about had all they want. And God said, when you get there, I want you to talk to the rock and tell it to let water come out, and it will. And Moses says, no. These people ain't worth doing it God's way. And he gets on that rock and he says, you rebels. And he struck the rock twice with a rod. And the water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron because you did not. There's a lot of things you can say about Moses. He was the greatest pastor. I've heard people, he's the greatest pastor. He's in the book of faith, and, and he is all of those things. But let me tell you one thing about Moses you won't hear preached. He didn't really believe God. No, no, no. Moses was, Moses was, no. When God says it, you don't pretty much have to contradict it. God looked down and said, Moses, Aaron, because you don't believe me, There's a level that you just don't trust me. There's a level that I'm trying to get you to that you just won't go with me. You won't believe me entirely. You won't trust me wholeheartedly. You won't love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. You won't do it. And because of it, and hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the waters of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and He was hollowed among them. What was it they contended with Him? They just would not trust Him. Anybody ever get up on Monday and start contending with the Lord? Now Sunday was great. I believe in the Lord. I'm here on Sunday, brother. I'm sitting here right now. I don't even really want to be sitting here. There's a lot of things I could do it, but let me tell you, I believe in the Lord, so therefore I, I made myself come this morning. That's great, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen on your Monday. You believe in a God you don't trust. You're going to make earthly decisions while believing in a heavenly Father. How about Miriam? That was his sister. She's known him all his life. I mean, nobody loves you more than your sister. I have one sister, Tabitha. Man. I mean, she, she's got it together. She, she likes the one that took care of him in the water and, 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 and kept him alive. And then she wrote a song after they crossed the Red Sea. Miriam's got it together. Go with me to Numbers 12, verses 1 through 10. Let's look at Miriam. She will die in Kadesh Barnea. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. 
And we can get into all that debate. Some believe it's the wife that he normally has with two children. She was a darker skin. She come, she was, uh, it's, it's not Ethiopian in the other term, the King James. It's Goshen. She was a dark-skinned person. And so Miriam, and here's why Miriam does it. People's like, why is Miriam getting all upset about his wife? I mean, what's that to her? It's not about that. Mo, Miriam and Aaron. Let me tell you what had happened. Up until this point, Miriam and Aaron were the two other bosses in the camp. They were the other prophets in the camp. It was a hierarchy. Moses was the man, and then there's Miriam and Aaron. They were right there with him, and they even felt like we're equal with Moses. We, we, we're equal. We, we, we carry the same authority as Moses does. So they looked for an area where they could lower his esteem among the people and raise their own. So they said, look at his wife. She ain't even the color we are. She's dark-skinned. Why would he marry somebody dark? Why didn't he marry one of us? That was their question. And they used it to chide among the people. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? What did I say? They, want, they, they thought, we're just as powerful, just as eager. Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. That's never good. And the Lord heard it. Anytime usually that is, and the Lord heard it. The next verse usually is, and his wrath was kindled. That's usually the next verse that comes along. Here's what it says. Now, and the Lord heard it. Go back to this last verse. Has indeed spoken, and the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the faith. In other words, Moses did not want controversy. Moses was, can we just, look, I don't care if you get half the power. I don't even care. I don't, I don't and, and you got to love that part about him. I hope that I, if, if anything in my life I gained from Moses, it is that meekness to understand. I don't care who's in charge as long as we get it done. I don't care who washes the, 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 the sink and who does this. I don't care. It's just, it's, and that's the great quality. That's why the Bible puts that in there, that Moses was humble more than all the men who are on the face of the earth. He, he just, to have two million people under your charge and to not see yourself as important, that's powerful. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and, and uh, Miriam, come out, you there of the tabernacle of meeting. <laughs> he calls all three of them. You three come outside. So the three came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So even if you are someone who is a prophet, guess where your prophecy came from? Me. Even if you have a word of wisdom, guess where it came from? Me. So there's not a one of you that is, is prophesying 
that it does not come from me. So why is Miriam and Aaron so mad? It's because Moses has already gone to God and said, God, I can't tote all of this anymore. And God tells Moses, give me 70 men and I'm going to split your anointing among 70 men. And guess what? The Bible said all 70 prophesied throughout the camp. And guess what that did to Miriam? I guess everybody can do it. In fact, Joshua, and I I just don't have enough time. So much Bible, so little time. Joshua even tells Moses, there's two of them that didn't even come with us, and they're some of the leaders, and they're prophesying, do you want me to go stop them? And he said, no, Moses is, is meek. Moses says, no, I wish that everybody was a prophet. I wish everybody was, was able to do it. I, I don't want to be the only one. I don't want to be the five-fold ministry pastor, and I can do all. I, I, I want everybody to have the ministry. I want everybody to be able to do it. I want everybody to have stage time. I want everybody to be this way. And that's Moses' personality, but not Miriam and Aaron. They wanted to have it all cornered for themselves. We're the only prophets in town. We're the only one that writes songs. We're the only ones that can do it. Oh, That's why God says, if there is a prophet in your midst, you better know this much. It's my words that they're speaking. It's not anybody else's. So why are you worried about what they're speaking? It's not their own words. It's mine. Not so with my servant Moses. He said, but now let me tell you what, you ain't equal to Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him, and this is incredible, face to face. There ain't but one other person that had the relationship with him that Moses had, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one that we're given any insight that the Lord says, nobody knows the Father but me. So when Jesus comes telling them in the New Testament the word of God, he said, I don't tell you something I've heard or or something somebody's told me. I tell you something that I got straight from the man. Moses in the Old Testament is the only one that's like that. God says, I come down and I talk to Moses face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees from the Lord, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant? Why did you have the courage then to think that you could talk about him and me not get on your case? So the anger of the Lord was aroused. I told you, anytime he says, the Lord heard it. The Lord said, guess what's coming? And the Lord's anger. I don't ever want to, you know, Tim, I was hearing about you. No, no, I don't want to hear that. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when he, the cloud departed above the tablet, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam and there she was. I love that saying. <laughs> and there she was. Can you imagine, Aaron? Yeah, we're tired of all this stuff. Ooh, we ain't that tired. Miriam, you need to get on. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Basically, God humiliates her, and Moses has to go pray to God and say, please don't kill her. And he says, well, I'll tell you what you do. You put her outside the camp, and in seven days, she can come back. You're talking about the walk of shame. She's in a little tent outside the camp. They're all looking at her every day like, she's still alive? Yeah. And in the seventh day, she comes dragging back in there like that. She's leprous. She's healed. 
But she ain't nowhere on that high, high pedestal she used to be on. But what did it reveal? I don't trust God. In fact, even the prophecies, I think, they're mine. That kind of partly, partly mine. I am prophetess Miriam. Really? It's just God's words that He's using through you. I'm out of time, but if Exodus 32, 1 through 3, and you can look these up later. Exodus 32, 1 through 3 talks about Aaron. Aaron, the Bible says that the children of Israel says, Moses has been gone too long. This is the golden calf. And, and we need an Aaron who's supposed to be right there in charge. You know, one thing about Aaron is you're going to find out, just like with Miriam, he's always the, what I call the lion with no teeth. There's always a line with teeth, but then there's always that one behind them going, yeah, yeah. You ever see it like the bullies? They always got that little runt behind them. You know, it's always like, yeah, yeah. That's him. Anybody stir something up? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, that's what the children of Israel, they stirred up. Moses is gone. I think he's dead. We need to, we need to build a, uh, something else. And you know what Aaron comes up with? No, we need to wait for Moses. No, here's what Aaron comes up Hey, y'all bring me all your gold and silver things and I'll make something. And, and why did they have a feast? Because Aaron, after he built the golden calf and he saw everybody was having fun, he said, tomorrow we have a feast unto the Lord. I'm like, man. Then there's the rock. Well, guess who he's buddies with now? Moses. The worst person you could have is Aaron. Because Moses is having a bad day. Remember I said he's walking toward the rock he's going to strike? And, and, and he's talking to who? Aaron. And you can hear Aaron, same one that gets Miriam leprosy, same one that builds a golden calf. Moses is like, you know, I'm really tired. Of, yeah, I agree. You've been doing it all, Moses. We've been doing everything, and, 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 and we don't deserve to be treated like this. And he's stirring Moses up. Any of y'all got some friends like that? I've got some people that, you know what, if I don't feel good, I do not need to be talking to them. Because they just going to make me madder than I am. Yeah, I wouldn't put up with that junk. I quit tomorrow. And then you quit, and you're like, what was I thinking? I ain't got no check coming in now. And then you go to them like, dude, I need help. Look, I, don't, I, I can't help you. I ain't got no money either. Be careful of those friends. That's Aaron. And then there's Israel itself. In Exodus 32, verse 4, they look at the golden calf and they say, this is what brought us out of Egypt. If we go to Numbers 14, 1 through 4, and then verse 20, we see that they are the ones that says, we can't go into Canaan. We can't go into Canaan. We're not able. We're like grasshoppers. We... And Israel, Aaron, Miriam, Moses, all the stuff I've been preaching to y'all all this week about these last several weeks about obeying. And let me tell you what it all sets you up for. For the moment when God's going to put something in front of you and He's going to just simply ask this question, do you trust me? It's, it's, I'd like to tell you it's going to be some magical, some, some, it's really not. 
Doesn't matter if you're standing in a doctor's office. Doesn't matter if you're standing in a lawyer's office. Doesn't matter if you're standing in a school office. Doesn't matter if you're standing in front of your kids, your wife, your husband. It doesn't matter. There's going to come a moment you're going to have to look and you're just going to have to decide is God telling the truth and everybody else is a liar? In my life, there is no book that I need to write to you. I appreciate all these people writing books of how they became successful and how they did this. I can write my book in one quick page. I didn't believe what other people thought and I didn't believe even what I thought. I trusted what God said. And it made all the difference. That's as simple the end. Now, did I have to go through? I can tell you all about the stuff I had to go through. I can tell you all the stuff that God tested me in, all the things He tried to teach me to obey, and all the way He taught me how to war and how to hold Him up in the battle. I can tell you all of those things, but ultimately everything that I learned was for one reason, so that one day I could look at a situation that's bigger than me. And God asked me, Tim, who do you trust? Who are you going to run to now first? And I've learned over my life before I run to anything or trust anything, I want to know what God said. And then I just wait to see if everybody else lines up with it or not. If they don't, that's okay. I'll just go by myself. And in your life, this is it. Only two people had that spirit. I'll read what they say. Go to Numbers 14, and I'll show you what it looks like for people that go into their promised land. Numbers 14, verses 6 through 9. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to the congregation of Israel. There's two men against the whole million people that's standing there. The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Well, I'd, I'd like to have what you got. I bet you would. But let me tell you where it always started. I started on the side where you are. I started on that side where if only God can do it and only God can bring it, but I trust God. Only do not rebel against the Lord. That's what he tells them. Nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. I never understood growing when I was young. I thought growing in the Lord meant how many years I put in or how many sermons I heard or how many Sunday school classes or how many Bible stories I could quote. I learned that what real maturity and what real growth is is I've learned to eat the things that others spit out. The enemies of my life are my bread. 
It's when somebody tells me I can't do it, that's when fire lights up. When somebody tells me I can't make it, that's when it's just like, oof, an anointing. Don't, don't tell me I can't. Don't tell me God can't do it. Don't tell me God's lying to me. I've learned in my life that that is my greatest bread. You say, brother, that don't make sense. Well, don't ask Jesus because there was a lady he met at the well. And the disciples went into town to get him some food. Remember? And after he had had a conversation with her and led her to himself, the Bible says they brought bread back out to him and they looked at him and his countenance has changed. And it says, and I love it, as though he had already eaten. Joshua understood. He said, they're bread for us. The more we whoop them, the stronger we get. The more we move forward, the stronger we become. Not the weaker, the stronger. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. One more verse. Verse 24. God tells Israel, you cannot go. They spend the next 38 years around Kadesh Barnea, just roaming. We get all the stories of the snake on this pole, but they're just wondering. But of all the things that I won't say about me, and I hope that you won't say about you, it's this verse right here, verse 24. But my servant Tim, oh, Caleb. I like to put me in there every now and then. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different... He's not smarter. He's not more educated. He's not the best, the brightest. That's not, that's not what God's looking for. Because he has a different spirit in him. What spirit? A spirit of wisdom. A spirit of wisdom that says... I believe God. And has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went. And his descendants, that means his generations, shall inherit because of what he was willing to hold on to. What you're fighting for today when God gives you a vision or a dream is not just for you. It's for your kids and your grandkids. It's the stories they will tell about their dad, their mom, their grandfather, their grandmother. It's the stories they will share of the victories that you won that passed on to them the understanding that I can win. Will you stand? It's about as much of this I can cut out and cut up and get it in this time limit. I have enjoyed our journey. I don't feel in any way that if you don't get there where God's called you now, it's because it's because you don't know how. 
I did not say it's easy. If someone was to ask me, Brother Lot, describe your life. It's been long. It's been grudgerous at times. But it's been worth every second of it. Not say it's easy to live a life in front of people, fight for the thing God's called you to. I'm just telling you it's worth it. You don't want to spend the rest of your life thinking about, wishing, wondering why it never happened. Why that ministry just never... I know God put it in my heart. It's because there's a reason why we have to go through our desert moments. For Him to prove us, to test us. So that when He brings us to the front door of it, when He brings us to the threshold of it, we can look at it and say, I trust God. Let everything else be a lie. I trust God. If you're in this room today, God has an incredible journey. Your life, some of it may be part of all seasons and you're part of all that we do, but you also have that individual journey. Things that God's put in your life, things that you're supposed to be. I always go back to my mom and dad. My dad was not the greatest pastor. He talked too much. Didn't study enough. I can go down the list and I laugh about it. You say, how can you laugh? Because that's not what God called my dad to be. My dad was the greatest dad I've ever known. He raised four successful kids. Even by the world's standards, we're successful. Whether it's godly standards. But God, when he was young, he grew up in a family where he didn't have and he didn't... And God just gave him one vision. DeWitt, you love them kids. You pour into those kids. And I wouldn't take anything different for the life that we lived. He was a great pastor. Did his best. But he fulfilled everything God intended in the vision he gave him. Him and my mom. They were the greatest parents because that's what they were called to be. Whatever it is that God's called you to be, my life's different. I was called to be a pastor. Whatever God's called you to be, don't trust anything man has said. Don't trust your own wisdom. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. And acknowledge Him in all of your ways. He will direct your paths. Father, this morning, as far as I can take them, As far as I can take their marriage, it's as far as I can take their raising their kids, it's as far as I can take their vision of their own life, what they're willing to, to trust you with.
Father, I hope. I hope that they grasp in their spirit the story of the children of Israel. And I hope with all of my heart that we learn from them. That we learn to trust you. To trust and obey. Because you won't fail. God, I pray that over them. More than I pray anything else in my life. Because that's the secret of their success. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all so much for allowing me to journey with you. And I hope when you leave here today, there's your Christian life, there's the real world. I would hope that you finally realize your Christian life is the real world. It is the real thing. Go give that devil fits.